0: It's time to go into business for yourself. Get ready for another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. Education, insight, and inspiration. Here's your host, small business and franchise expert, Tom Scarta. And welcome to another episode of the Franchise Academy. And I am excited to bring in a friend of mine, an old, old friend from the franchise consulting world. So, if you have never listened to the Franchise Academy before, this is a place to get all the information you need about franchising. How to buy a franchise, how to sell a franchise, even how to turn your business into a franchise. So, I and my guest that I'm going to bring on in a second, Tana Hutchinson, we're franchise consultants. What we do is match people with opportunities based on skills, personality, goals, kind of like the e-harmony of business is what I like to call it, and we work with people that are frustrated with their career, people that cringe at the thought of going to work in the morning. We work with folks that are laid off and they realize, wow, I don't want to go back to the corporate rat race. In addition, we work with people that have a job, they want to keep it, everything is cool, but they want a plan B in case something hits the fan. And we help people do that as well. And so Tana, I'm going to bring in here, has been doing this longer than me. Tana and I met in 2002 at a franchise sales training in Minneapolis. I'm going to talk about that. So, Tana, welcome.
1: Hi, Tom. Glad to be here.
0: This is like so, so cool. This (laughs) is like bringing like a a sister from another world. We're like meeting again. So this is so great. So this is really cool. How long have you been with Franchise?
1: It'll be 16 years in April. It's blowing my mind.
0: 16 years. and It'll be 15th in April. So you're exactly one year ahead of me. That's cool.
1: I wondered how long it had been for you because I knew that we had similar years in franchising. Because before I even met you, you had owned a franchise prior. So this was all prior to 2002. And I have been in franchise development, but it's been 15 years for you as a franchise consultant and 16 for me. It just blows my mind.
0: It totally blows my mind. I mean, you were just a kid when, when you first but
1: started. I was 10. I was 10. <laughs> <scared. I was laughs>
0: <laughs> so funny. But seriously, I mean, you, you were really young. Do you remember when we first met?
1: I do. I do. And I remember there were a couple of our friends still in franchising today that was also in that room. It's fun to look back and see that we're all still in the industry and thriving.
0: Do you, do you remember who, who was there? Could you drop some names? That would be fun. You want me
1: to drop names? Okay. Brian Garut. Brian was in that class? Brian was in that class.
0: Yeah. We'll send him this uh, podcast when we're done. But go ahead. That's Brian right. was in that class. Go ahead.
1: Hey, Brian. And Rod Trembling from,
0: from Batteries, Batteries Plus. Plus. Wow.
1: Yep. And me and you. I think there was somebody else. I, I, I can't remember.
0: There was someone from Aussie Pet Mobile, I remember. Who was on my side of the table. For some reason, I remember this. Wasn't some of the guys from Fish Window cleaning there, too?
1: Oh, yes, Matt Merrick. Merrick. Matt's (laughs) there. I cannot believe I forgot that Matt was there. Oh, I love Matt. Matt.
0: Miss Matt. I haven't seen him in a few years. I saw him at the IFA, International Franchise Association, uh, meeting mm, probably three years ago. I saw him. He's doing great. Right. So, this is cool. So, yeah, so Tan and I were, were at this franchise sales training with Jeff Elgin, who's our mentor in franchising, the guy who actually founded Franchise back in 2000. And we were sitting there going through a, kind of a crash course. It was a one-day thing. I was an area developer for Maui Wowie Smoothies, and Michael Hayes, the president, sent me in to learn how to sell. And it was a great day. It really, wow. And that's the first time I met Jeff, myself, and then Tana. And then I joined Franchise, and I saw Tana on the roster. You probably don't remember, but I called you as like a validation call to figure out if I should do franchise or not. And you called me back and we talked for probably 20 minutes about it.
1: And I said, do it.
0: You said, do it, yeah. Yeah, you said, I don't remember exactly how you put it, but I remember Melissa Lewis said, whatever you're doing, drop it and join us immediately. It's unbelievable. <laughs> That's true, and I'm glad you did. And so it, it is unbelievable, but it's not easy. A lot of people feel like, all oh, those guys, they sit back and take orders and they get paid a commission for matching somebody, and it's so easy. Tell us, how how easy is this for you?
1: It's, It's not easy to develop the skill to do the matching correctly. I think it takes time to develop the skill of getting to know people across the phone most of the time. We don't do video conferencing. We usually do most of this over the phone. Every now and then we can meet people in person if we're lucky enough to be able to have a candidate that's nearby. I will, I'm sure you do too. I'll go out of my way to make that meeting happen, but we're national consultants. So we work with candidates all over the country. We're not bound by a territory or region. So that's a benefit in working with us. But what it does mean is that most of our work is done over the phone. Yes. So we have to be able to connect that way. And then we have to be able to learn about that person and not just their professional background and not just leaning out their transferable skill sets, but also getting to know them as people and them feeling comfortable wanting to tell us information about themselves in order for us to do a good job. And I think, I think it takes time to get really good at this where people are willing to do that for you.
0: Yeah, it really does. I mean, it took me a while to, to hone that skill. It took me a long time. And, and what I find now is there's a lot of people who go into this business thinking that it's easy. And I was at a meeting recently where they said the average lifespan of somebody going into this business now is only nine months.
1: i wondered that. Yeah. I wonder that because you see so many people come and go. But one thing you see with our group is that we stay around for years yeah. and years. I mean, there, there are consultants still with us today that have been on board since the beginning of Franchise, which is now 20 years.
0: 20 years. Yeah, absolutely. And it's because, in my opinion, I think that, you know, the way you can't just get into Franchise; you have to be referred in, and then you have to go through a vetting process. So it's actually not easy to do where there's other, you know, broker agencies, if you will, that will charge you a fee. You can even buy a franchise that sells franchises, which I think is ridiculous.
1: I think it's a conflict of interest a lot of the time.
0: It might be. But I think, you know, I mean, you, before you became a consultant, you were in a franchise for like, I don't know how many years. And you learn the inside of the business and really what it takes. And you see franchisees come in. And what it takes them to develop to be a franchise owner is is really a, a major learning curve for the majority of people. So you got to bring in the right people. You got to know how to do that, and you honed your skills with Tim Ivankovich. I think you used to work for. Is that right?
1: That's right. That's right. So you came from the franchisee side, and I came from the franchisor side, and that was the third franchisor that I had worked with, I originally got into franchising as a business analyst with a company in, in Florida. And I was an analyst, I was on a corporate development team, and they charged a couple of us analysts to figure out how to turn this company into a franchise company. And that's how I fell into it. And oh, wow. then subsequently went on to, you didn't know that?
0: I did not know that. No, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. So I subsequently then got the franchising bug because I loved what it did for people. It allowed people to get into business ownership that wouldn't have necessarily considered it because they wouldn't have wanted to figure everything out on their own. And then here here is a vehicle that can help people to do it. And so I fell in love with franchising. And then went on to represent a couple of different companies. And I met you when I was working with Tim at the Cleaning Authority. And he was beginning to develop that brand, which is a residential house cleaning brand of all things, right? <laughs> residential house cleaning. But he was developing that into a nice, large national brand. And I helped grow it with him.
0: That's right. Yeah, he grew it into hundreds of franchisees over at that brand now, uh, and they're doing really well. So when you get a new candidate that comes your way, what do you want to prep them with first? I mean, what, what are you talking to them about?
1: I want to learn from them what has them looking into this in the first place. I think everybody needs to be driven by clear motivations for this because business ownership isn't easy. And you have to know what you want out of this. And you really, truly have to have that entrepreneurial drive.
0: Yep. There's no question about it. It takes a special mindset, but it doesn't take a special person, which I like to make clear to people. Anybody, see the franchise is a business with training wheels, which I stole that phrase from Britt Schroeder, (laughs) a mentor of ours. But it takes a mindset. Like I went from a government worker to a franchise owner, And, you know, as a government worker, uh, not to take anything away from folks that work for the government, but the job that I had, you just had to show up and you got paid. (laughs) You didn't even have to work. And that was a subway system in New York City back in the day. Now it's much tougher. But in the 80s, you just had to show up. But in, in a business, you're wearing 17 hats as an owner. And a franchise gives you all the different systems that you can employ to run that business effectively and efficiently, right? Would, would you agree?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And then you implement that system with good old-fashioned hard work. And that's what I'm getting at is people understanding that we love franchising for, for the proven systems and the best practices to follow and all the tools that these franchisors give a franchisee. And then you've got to know what you want out of this business so that you're driven to do the hard work that it takes to be successful at it.
0: There's no question about it. And you could plug in. And, and, and the funny thing is, is, people will call. I'm sure you get people that call, you and know, they're like, I'm in this particular field, so I need to find a franchise in this field. And that's not what you need to do. You know, like if you're an accountant, as an example, I always, I always say, if you're an accountant, you do not need H&R Block. You know, I mean, you could buy one and they give you the marketing system, and that's probably good. But a lot of times, a fr- uh, somebody that owns a franchise is a 180 degree turn from what they went to school for.
1: Right. Because right? that's and what we're, you and I have been trained to make sure that we're matching people based on business characteristics, not necessarily the product or service that's being offered what I call the widget because it, the product or service just becomes a widget after a while. A widget is just a widget. What we're trying to match our candidates to is the role of what it, the business owner does in that business every day. How does that business affect their life, their time commitment? There's a lot that goes into it. So we're not necessarily matching an IT person to an IT business, right?
0: Awesome. And I've
1: I've put very successful IT managers who started off doing code, and then put them into businesses that had nothing to do with IT. Yet the business gave them everything that they wanted, and they had the transferable skill sets to be successful in that business.
0: Wow! Yeah, very well said. I love that, and and that's probably the most important thing somebody should know as they're looking at franchises. Is that you're looking for your transferable skill set, uh, to, to steal your phrase and I'll employ still
1: that yours before this is all over. So no worries. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I, I think that that's an important thing. So once somebody starts going down the road of looking at franchises with you, what do you find to be a thing that will kind of hold them up, if you will?
1: I think a lot of people fall into the trap unfortunately, of just wanting to review websites and just wanting to review marketing materials and any kind of information that's sent to them from the franchisor and not getting out from behind their desk and actually talking with the franchise owners and learning what you need to do in that business every day. I think that's a big mistake.
0: Yeah. It is a major mistake, and our friend Chip Fudge had said a couple years back to me that franchising is an unbelievable business because it's the only investment that we can really think of where you can actually talk to the end user in the business and find out how things are going. So we encourage, we implore people to call the franchise owners in the company that they're looking at and, and really get serious about it And we have, you know, all sorts of prep for that. We have questions we give you. And that is the most important thing you could possibly do because the franchise owner is not permitted to be compensated in any way to say anything good or bad about the franchise. They do it on their own time. We call them validation phone calls. And I think that's really important for people to understand. I
1: agree. And I think when they go to speak with these franchise owners. I think they need to find folks that are operating at the top 20% in that system and then find the franchise owners that are performing in, say, the middle 60 and then find franchise owners that may unfortunately be performing in the bottom 20% and then learn really what to do and maybe what not to do and determine also if maybe they're identifying with one group over the other. If they're identifying with that bottom 20%, that's clearly not a good match for them. And then we need to go back to the drawing board and look for other franchises where it's a better fit. If they are identifying with the top 20% performers, wonderful. You know, they can see what this business will do for them. But they've got to make those calls and they've got to get a sampling of franchise owners in order to determine if it is a good fit.
0: How do you feel about women in franchising? Do you think that women are uh, or should be owning their own franchise and just, you know, getting out of their career or courting the stay at home mom gig? What do you think about that as a woman?
1: This is a loaded question because a couple of my most recent placements are female. So I love putting, I had no idea you were going to ask me about this, but I love putting women in business. I think it's a natural fit for me. I left the corporate world at 32 years old. So it wasn't when I was 10. Sorry. And what it gave me for the past 16 years and helping to um, raise a family and is be able to have the flexibility to set my own hours and, and not only take care of things at home, but also be able to have a work and professional life. And that's what business ownership does for a lot of my female candidates. That's for the candidates that have families, but for the candidates, females who don't have families I still love it, no matter what, because I don't think it matters whether you're male or female. If you want to work for yourself and have something of your own and make your own way in this world, then go into business for yourself. Franchising is a wonderful vehicle because you don't have to figure it all out. You learn what it takes and you go out there and you just do it.
0: Yeah, really well said. So if there happens to be a female listening to the podcast, and she would like to talk to you just woman to woman, what's the best way to get in touch with you?
1: The best way to, to get in touch with me is via email or, or phone. But clearly we have our website where, you know, we have our own special link or website within the main FranChoice website. So that's the way to find me.
0: Okay. So it's Tana Hutchinson and it's franchise.com so it's going to be Hutchinson at Franchise.com. And it's going to be on the Franchise Academy page. If if you are listening to this podcast and you're driving in your car right now, when you get to your home or office, just go to the FranchiseAcademy.com. And uh, Tana's information will be there if you want to talk to Tana. Just, you know, woman to woman about the upside of franchising for you. So, so that's great. And Tana just has a bunch of information to really help you through the whole uh, process of Figuring out franchising. So what else would you want to tell someone who's thinking about getting into franchising if, you know, if they're your candidate?
1: I can't stress enough to know what's driving you to do this and believing in yourself and understanding that whatever made you successful in your work life, your professional life—that is exactly what will make you successful in this. It's no different, and I, I, co- I convey that to candidates all the time. So, back to our discussion about the split of top twenty percent performers, middle sixty, bottom twenty percent. It's the same thing in the workforce. Usually, what twenty percent are the ones doing all the work, right? Usually. Uh that's right. And so most of our candidates find that typically when they're driven to do this, they're usually in that bucket of people who go above and beyond to be successful. And so that's that exact same thing that made you successful there will make you successful here. And I think that that is some of the things that, that will hang people up when they get a little bit nervous and have a little bit of anxiety over whether to do this or not, that's one thing to know that they can have confidence in themselves. And then we find a great franchise to work with that has these proven systems and best practices, a good partner to go into business with. And together you have a great formula.
0: Yep. Absolutely. So when you get somebody all the way down the line and, and they found a franchise that they love and they're a great fit, They know it, you know it, the franchisor knows it, but then they start getting cold feet. What do you do to help them over that hump?
1: I think it's all about getting more information. I think a lack of information is where the fear comes from. And so we'll learn together what it is that might be hanging them up. And then I'll encourage them to go out and get more information on that. And usually that satisfies it.
0: Yeah. It's exactly right, because there's people, like a lot of, you could say to somebody, you know, McDonald's is a great fit for you, and they'll look at it, and they'll be like, yeah, all these, you know, thousands of people are successful in McDonald's, but I don't know if I'll be successful. So it's really a self-confidence thing, and having never run a business, you know, there's a lot of anxiety that goes with that. And I have to say that every single person I've ever worked with, including myself when I bought my franchises, everyone has anxiety going into it. So it's a normal and natural thing. And it happens to everyone. What I do is I send people a YouTube clip of Will Smith, the actor. Will Smith talking about jumping out of an airplane. He went skydiving with his friends. So Will Smith, as great as he is, tells an awesome story. So if you have a chance, just Google Will Smith skydiving. And it's a seven-minute video of him He's funny. He just makes it funny. But he makes some poignant points that will blow your mind, and it relates directly to buying a franchise when you when you listen to it, Tana. I think you'll love it. I really do.
1: Every time I get up in an airplane to jump out of it, I ask myself, why am I doing this again? I can't, I can't believe I'm up there doing this again.
0: <laughs> Wait a second. Wait a second. So you, you go skydiving. I know that you and your husband fly. I know that.
1: Right. Yes. We've. I've jumped out of an airplane twice. He had wow. three times. I've never jumped out of his airplane though. So that's an important distinction.
0: <laughs> that is so funny. That is so great. I didn't know that. Wow. I've yeah. never skydived. I never.
1: I, I thought of you actually this weekend. You were actually the impetus for me to to say. Yes, I will I will go out flying at night because I've never done that before. And I thought we might talk about that today. I wasn't sure if it would come up. And so that would be something new that I could talk about was the eight touch and goes that we did Saturday night. Oh yeah? Yeah. That sounds
0: like a great date night.
1: It was. It actually was. Yeah.
0: And what airport do you guys fly out of over there?
1: Montgomery Gibbs out of San, San Diego.
0: We're in San Diego, right.
1: And what's really interesting about it is you're, you're really close to Bravo airspace with San Diego's airport. And then you have Miramar, the Marine Corps base right there. And Montgomery Gibbs is right sandwiched in between. And so that makes it very challenging for a pilot. And so, and then particularly at night, and so, and you know, because you got your private pilot's license too, right?
0: I did. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So you know that if you want to fly at night, you have to keep up your night currency.
0: That's right. Yeah.
1: How long ago was that when you got your license?
0: 14, right? 14, 2014.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And I haven't flown probably since 2015. And there's a whole story behind that. But, you know, I the Bravo airspace here where I live on Long Island is the bane of my existence because I'm sandwiched between the Bravo airspace of Kennedy Airport, which is just 14 miles to the west of me. And then we have the the TF temporary flight restrictions, the TFRs mm-hmm. over Manhattan because, you know, it's Manhattan. And then you have LaGuardia Airport, Newark Airport, all on that end. And I fly out of sea airspace with MacArthur going out to Isop Airport towards the Hamptons, if you're familiar with the uh, geography out here. But, yeah, so you talk about field. national
1: consultants. We're very familiar with geography around the country.
0: That's right. That's right. We should talk airspace around the country with our candidates. That would blow their mind.
1: <laughs> you know what's really good about you learning how to fly, though, there, is you become a better pilot because you have to fly in and around all these – special airspaces.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It keeps you very awake, if you will. <laughs> it keeps you very kind of sense of your situational awareness, where I could imagine that if you're flying in the Midwest and it's flat and you don't have to worry about all the different airspace requirements, you could get lost really fast if, if you're not paying attention. So, um, and it also
1: limits you because if you get too comfortable, then, then you may not use your license in a way that others do where you, you know, you might avoid taking certain trips because you don't want to fly near certain airspace.
0: Right. You're exactly right. So you do have to push yourself at all times. That's what we tell our candidates. You got to get to the next level. So the last time we spoke about flying though, which was probably over the summer, we had said that Andre had got a new plane or he was getting a new plane, or he didn't get a plane. What, what was that story? Andre's your husband, right? <laughs>
1: that's, that's correct.
0: Just to clarify.
1: He had <laughs> access to a, a plane, but now he's a part of a flying club. The, actual, the largest flying club in the country is based here in San Diego. Oh, wow. And so now he has access to over 70 planes. And so rarely do... Do we not have an opportunity to fly when we want to? Oh,
0: Just, that is—that's amazing.
1: You should uh-huh. look up flying clubs. I think there's one near you.
0: There's probably one. I got really excited all of a sudden. I, that sounds pretty cool. I didn't know you could do that. So I guess there's like a flat fee or something, or you know, whatever, whatever it is. Membership. What is? I don't know if you could tell me what is your favorite type of plane. Uh, and we're not talking about jets. We're not talking about Lear jets and stuff like that. I'm talking about single pop. Single I've,
1: only, I've only flown in a Cessna, in Cessnas.
0: So that's where the wing is over the body. So I've, I've actually never flown in a Cessna. I fly in the uh, arch of the uh, Pipers.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Low wing plane.
1: Yeah, those are, I think they're very attractive. I like the way they look.
0: Yeah, I like, I like them better. They do they,
1: better. Do they obstruct your view down below much?
0: No, not at all.
1: That was the only, only thing I was hesitant about. Okay.
0: No, no. You have a clear view out the window. You can't really look behind you, but you're not really looking behind you anyway. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's interesting. And, and, and I, I often share with people that you know flying is, is a lot like running a business and, and it's counterintuitive. And what I mean by that is when you're, when you're going for lessons, 90% of your flight lessons are really what to do if the engine shuts down. <laughs> or if you have what they call an air stall and I, not to get too technical here on this podcast, but if, if you're taking off and you're pulling back too fast on the yoke or on the steering wheel, the wings tilt too far up and then you lose your air under your wings and a and plane could kind of have an air stall. It doesn't mean that it drops right away, but it will drop if you stay in that position. And so when you stall, you feel immediately that you should pull harder back so you could get the nose up but that does the opposite. And so what, you, what they teach you to do is go full throttle down and then nose down. And when you get got your nose down, you get air under your wings and then you fly again. And it's the same thing in business is that when, when things slow down, you need to double down, not pull back, but double down and get the air under your wings again to, to launch that business. Does that make sense?
1: Complete sense. I've told my husband I don't want to be in the plane when he practices managing the stalls.
0: <laughs> but you should know how to do it anyway.
1: I know. That's a discussion for another time. <laughs> and how do the flaps work?
0: Yeah, right. Get, uh, get in get in that left seat. Do it.
1: There's a book called The Right Seat. My husband gave it to me. I haven't finished it yet. It gives you the basics.
0: Yeah. Okay. Have you heard of it? I, I have probably from you, <laughs> but I'm going to challenge you to do it. Okay. Get on.
1: <laughs> challenge accepted.
0: Cool, awesome. So, what parting words would you have for someone that's thinking about buying a franchise right now?
1: Work with a consultant like you and me.
0: Okay. okay. So Take wait, for, before you go further, how how do you know you're working with a good consultant? That's a question I wanted to ask at the beginning you just make, just ring a bell for me. How would you tell somebody, this is what you got to do to find out well, what would you say?
1: I think you should ask them what they did before they were a consultant. I think that it's important that they come from the industry and or business ownership in some form or fashion so that they understand it and they have experience in it and have been on, on their own like we are we're independent and 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 take a look at their backgrounds and make sure that it aligns with business ownership and and franchising otherwise anybody could call themselves a franchise expert if they just sit through a training class for a week or two
0: right well That's said great. i totally agree with you very well said so what advantages do a con- does a consultant have for somebody looking at a franchise?
1: We have a lot of experience and a lot of tips and tools to give you as you're in the investigation process from the beginning to all the way to the end as you're as you're navigating all the steps with the franchises through the learning process
0: absolutely absolutely we have you know. Every step of the way, we have documents that we send you. We have, you know, podcasts we'll send you. We've got all sorts of data. And, and we have, you know, our company's 20 years old, franchise, but Jeff Elgin's has been in this business for 15 years even prior to that. We have all of his data, all of his information, and, and we kind of help you. And, and I have a quick story, not to make this about myself, but I think this, this talks exactly what you're saying. When I first started looking for a franchise, I knew which, what I wanted, right? There, there was an ice cream thing, a concept that I wanted to buy. I saw it in San Diego, coincidentally. My brother was in San Diego. And I was like, I'm going to do this in New York. It's going to be the best thing ever. There's no, nothing like this in New York. And I got back home, and this is, this is back in two, the year 2000. And I get on the internet, as feeble as it was then, and I find Franchise, And I talk to a consultant who you know i know uh carol if you know carol mercurio if you remember carol
1: right i remember carol
0: yep so so carol was my consultant back in 2000 she's the one that matched me to maui while smoothies
1: i forgot that i forgot yeah. that.
0: it's pretty cool great story and so i said to her this is the one i want and she said to me well first of all i know the concept and your budget is a And that franchise is $350,000, so you can't afford it, number one. Number two, even if you could afford it, I would vehemently try to talk you out of it because their franchise agreement is lopsided. And I said, what? What does that even mean? I don't get that. A franchise is a franchise. Oh, no, it's not. She explained to me the way that was set up is there were so many fees in that particular franchise, the franchisee couldn't make any money. And it was funny, back then they sold hundreds of those units and they're hardly, they're almost all gone.
1: And that's what we bring to the table is that level of experience because we've seen it all and we've worked with hundreds and hundreds of franchises over the years. So we know how to tell a candidate to investigate and look for these attributes and, and any of the pitfalls in the agreements.
0: and it. Right. And, and, it, and it's, it's interesting to note that there's no rules or regulations or laws that say who could franchise and who can't. Anybody could call themselves a franchise. The only laws that are installed are ones on how to sell a franchise. So you can't be a Ponzi scheme. You can't Tell somebody you're going to make X amount of money if you buy this franchise. So all of that is regulated. But anyone could call themselves a franchise. You just have to hire a lawyer. You get a franchise disclosure document printed. You don't have to make money. You don't have to support your franchisees. If you can find a sucker to buy it, you're a franchise. So we help our candidates make sure that they don't step into that kind of mess. Because there's a lot of that out there is what I've seen anyway. So That's
1: absolutely right.
0: So that's what we bring. So, Tana, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. We could do so much more. We could speak for hours, I know. And I know. We'll,
1: I <laughs> want we'll to do. spare your viewers going down <laughs> some of the rabbit holes that we could have gone down, but I think they get the gist.
0: Yeah, there's so much we could talk about. And, and you know, we could always do another show for sure. We could do a live show again when we're together in the same room. We'll, we'll have some fun maybe at the next franchise convention.
1: That sounds great.
0: Well, cool. Tana, thank you so much. And I look forward to talking with you more. And you could reach Tana at franchise.com, But Tana, directly her email is hutchinson at com. And again, I'm going to have that on the website at the thefranchiseacademy.com. So all her information will be there. And Tana, thank you so much. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Thank you, Tom. This has been another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. For more info, go to our website, thefranchiseacademypodcast.com. Remember to subscribe to Tom Scarta's YouTube channel for educational videos on franchising, education, insight, and inspiration.